What if I told you that you were about to listen to another wrestling podcast? Are you ready? This is the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Join us as we take you through the ins and outs and everything you need to know in the world of professional wrestling. From NXT to Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Elite Wrestling, all the way to the main events of the WWE. Our thoughts, our perspective, and our predictions on the biggest topics and breaking news in the world of wrestling. If it's happening, we're talking about it. This is the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean McChesney and CJ Palmasano. All right, let's get to it. Back with another special edition of the Not Another Wrestling Podcast, and I'm joined by my good friend, my good buddy, Chris Reyes. Reyes, what's up, man? I'm doing pretty good. What's up, CJ? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming on, man. Going to be getting a uh, few different other people for these special editions, and you happen to be one of them. We did Recently, we just did Wrestlers of the Decade with uh, my buddy Joe Stanziali, and now... We're going to be doing the top 10 matches of this year, just this year alone. We'll be having a uh, top 10 match of the decade very soon, hopefully when Sean uh, gets back. But anyway, uh, I was talking with you a little bit about this. Uh, just 2019, I think, may have been the, I don't know, 2018, 2019 may have been the best year of this, best decade, uh, best two years out of this decade for the wrestling matches we've had. Because this year we had a lot of great matches from NXT, from AEW, from New Japan. Some good, really good matches from, from WWE. But because I think NXT and AEW just had so much really strong matches this year that really, I told you before, there's only one main roster WWE match that got on this list. Uh, Yeah, it's just, it's been a standout year for mostly the indie shows, New Japan... And WWE has not been able to keep up with them. Yeah, it's it's, it's not a matter of like the talent isn't good there because the talent is really good. It's a matter of you know booking and storylines, and we've talked about all that to death here. But um, I think we should just get right into it here because. Uh, but first, we're gonna get some honorable mentions. Uh, some matches because we did this earlier this year, me and Sean. Uh, a few matches in there are no longer on this list, had to be booted out, or they've just become honorable mentions. Uh, like, we had Tessa Blanchard versus Sammy Callahan on the list, and um, and now it's an honorable mention. Not to say that that match wasn't really good, because I think that's the match that really stood out this year for Tessa, Tessa Blanchard, and I think she's been one of the standout stars this year in wrestling, and pretty soon, I mean, I think they're going to put the world title on her pretty soon. Like, the... I don't know if you're. I don't know if you're, if you're watching Impact or if you're familiar with Impact at all. What's going on right now? Uh, not as much as I should, but I know Tessa has been really like the star to watch. She's been so far for 2019. She's been on a tear. I mean, I haven't really been watching Impact at all, but I I pay attention here and there. Like she's the reason why I pay attention. It's because of her, of how good she is. Um, I mean, I. I think they're going to do something that the WWE should have done with China, and that's put the world title on her. Yeah, absolutely. She's been, you know, so good that no gender is really important. Either way, she's been very good, whether I mean, it's female. Or- I mean, she competed for the X Division title, I think, for an, in a ladder match at a Slammiversary recently. Um, or is that Bound for Glory? No, it's Bound for Glory is their mania. I don't know. I can't keep up. Uh, anyway, other matches that are on here, we had uh, the Undisputed Era versus the Revival for the Go Home episode of NXT leading into Survivor Series. 
that was an amazing tag match. Just just pure tag team wrestling. I think, in my opinion, the two best tag teams in the WWE umbrella. It's the Revival and Undisputed Era. Oh, yeah. You know, the Revival, who've been so good back when they were in NXT, just being, like, the opposite of the indie stars. You know, fists, no flip. With the Undisputed Era, who have been, you know, the hottest stable for a long time. I mean, for my money, they are the two best tag teams in the WWE. And if if I was Triple H, I'd be lobbying, trying to get Vince to trying to get them to come back to NXT because if they want them to stay, then they should try and get them to stay and go back to NXT. But uh, I think they're... Yeah, otherwise... I, I think they're AEW bound after their contracts are expired. I think they've been looking forward to having a match with the Bucks for a while. I mean, they see how the tag division is over there. I mean, you got SCU and Santana and Ortiz. Who else is over there? The Lucha Brothers... I mean, Cody and Dustin, when they when they want to tag, uh, team up, the tag division is really stacked over there, and the tag and every tag team feels important. So, I just think the revival will fit. I think they they just want to go there anyway. They just want to wrestle. They don't care about money. They just want to wrestle and wrestle their own style. Yeah, and they won't be put into some dumb gimmick like when they were against the Usos. Yeah, and apparently that's what they want to do is turn the comedy characters. But that's another episode for another day. <laughs> Uh, we had Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles, as an honorable mention. That was a really, really good match, and um, they really should have done more with Styles and Rollins, in my opinion, uh, instead of just a one-off match, because I think Styles and Rollins really should have continued their feud rather than Baron Corbin and Seth Rollins. Because I think if Seth Rollins had continued his feud with uh, with AJ Styles, then I don't think his Universal Championship reign would have been so bad for the first time around uh yeah well it was also a fact of both of them were still kind of babyface AJ was kind of leaning towards heel but it was still like a face versus face match but they still eventually turned Styles heel in the end so I don't see why you couldn't have just done that with AJ and Rollins in the, in the first place yeah I think that would have been better for the storytelling part of the match. I mean, granted, you know, it was good that we got to see Ricochet versus AJ, but I just think if we continued with AJ and Rollins, I think Rollins wouldn't have, I don't think he'd be in such a, would have been in such a negative spot in his career when he was supposed to be portrayed as a good guy. But anyway, um, and then there's a few other, there's a few other matches in here. Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks, Hell in a Cell. That was really good this year. But I think we should move on to the actual list now. And we have at number 10, it's Adam Cole versus Matt Riddle. The first night NXT went two hours going against AEW's debut episode. Yeah, I, you know, I, I flipped to NXT after watching AEW for that day and it was just as that march that match was starting it was just so good watching those two put everything on the line for that for that uh for that match it was very reminiscent of them like what they did with Balor and Cole recently and I had almost put that in here but I felt like Matt Riddle versus Adam Cole was just a little bit better they were smart to put this in the beginning of the show have like little to no commercial interruptions at all and just Cole and Riddle just went absolutely nuts and I think for my money it's Matt Riddle's best match he's had maybe ever yeah he had probably the best opponent I mean Adam Cole's gonna be a not a huge theme, but we will be talking about him again later in another match. But Adam Cole, I think, for my money, has been the one of the best wrestlers of this year. You can't deny how good he's been and how great the Undisputed Era is. And just that he's a star. He is an absolute star and that you give him any opponent to work with and he'll knock it out of the park. You can give him Keith Lee, you can give him Matt, Matt Riddle, Finn Balor, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa. He will give you everything and more. Um, and I think he's WWE's most important and most valuable champion 
that they have. Yeah, without a doubt. If I was uh, Triple H, I'd be doing anything to keep them on NXT for a while longer before uh, getting called up and put in the hands of Vince. That's the thing, I think, is that the great thing about with this whole AEW versus NXT thing is that a lot of guys and girls will be staying in NXT a lot longer than they should have, or they should be. So, we'll be, I mean, most guys, you know, if we see them, like in Cole's position, if they're the champion, it's like, usually like after they lose the title, or they lose their rematch for the title, then they're going to go to Raw or SmackDown. Now it's not necessarily the case. I mean, it happened with Johnny Gargano. We thought Gargano was probably going to get called up after SummerSlam, but then... He ended up staying with NXT, which is perfect because NXT is where guys like Gargano and and Cole belong. And Matt Riddle, and Matt Riddle can be a great, I think, can be have really great success on the main on, on Raw and SmackDown, either one. But keeping him NXT for a while, especially if he's having his great matches he did with Matt uh, with uh, Adam Cole, because I remember talking with uh, we when Joe when Joe was on here about this whole new era or week in wrestling that we had with Raw Change and SmackDown on Fox and AEW NXT. We went in depth a lot about this match and just that um, yeah, that Matt Riddle's a stud. Adam Cole is great in everything he does. You forget he is so good on the mic and he's so captivating that in the ring just he's a total package. He can do it all. He He's very reminiscent of a like a like a very young Shawn Michaels in his early days, in his first run. Yeah, it's very rare that we see like a total package like that anymore. Like somebody who could just be amazing on the mic, great between the ropes, just keep the crowd loving them no matter. Well, the great thing about Cole is that he's such. I mean, he is supposed to be a heel, but he's such a great heel that even if people are cheering for him when he comes down to the ring. They'll start booing him when he gets when he says the right thing. Yeah, and uh, it's a testament of being a great well, heel. And when we get into the, the his other match later, like, we could talk about stuff. Yeah, I'm getting to more of his uh, heel work and all that. Um, but yeah, that was definitely it was it was really good that I still think it needed to be on this list. But just at number 10, there's a hell of a lot more matches that were, I think were a lot better. But moving on to the next one, uh, you and I actually watched this one together. Uh, it's John Moxley versus Kenny Omega at, at AEW Full Gear. It was just pure chaos and total carnage. And it was one of the best like hardcore style matches I've seen in a long time. It was bloody... It was violent, and I loved every second of it. You and I watched this with some friends of yours, and there were a couple of friends of yours who used to kind of watch wrestling, and they were really kind of getting into the show. And there was one friend of yours that <laughs> it was getting so violent that she had to turn away. Um, and that's kind of why I have it lower on the list, only because it was very violent, and it was also very controversial. It was getting a lot of mixed reviews from fans and, and, and everything, where some people are just like, oh, this is just too much, you know, they went a little too far, whereas I think it it went just just far enough. I mean, Omega just went to a completely different place than what he's typically used to, and he stepped up to Moxley's level in hardcore matches. Yeah, but when you see, like, him grabbing a giant chunk of broken glass... And yeah. looks like he's trying to slice Moxley's finger off. You just, it's very hard to watch. Yeah, it is very hard to watch. But for me, I, nothing really bothers me too much when it comes to wrestling. Like, there aren't really a whole lot of things that I can just cringe about or like I feel uncomfortable watching. I'm pretty much okay with just about watching almost anything. But, I can understand if some people may think this match is maybe a little too violent, maybe a little too uh, controversial. But for me, it and I haven't really seen a lot of Moxley's New Japan stuff. I've seen a good amount of it. But for me, this was John Moxley's best match of the year. And for me, like my favorite match he's ever had with Kenny Omega. 
Like just yeah, in, in general, like this was my favorite match that he's had for as long as I've known who he is. He definitely put it all out there, and so did Kenny, and they just it was just so good for uh, for all the time they were out. All the weapons they used, all the set pieces they threw themselves through. It was. I mean, they had a so much fun. To- like a bed or something made of barbed wire that they threw themselves into. That's insane. It was that was so good, and watching like the Bucks trying to get Kenny out and all the uh, hired help, and just, they didn't want to even be near that barbed wire. Yeah, it was. Um... I mean, at that point, it was getting, it was getting very violent. But again, for me, I think it was Moxley's standout match of the year. I didn't watch a whole lot of his G1 stuff. I watched a handful of things. But for me, from what I've seen, this is the match that I enjoyed the most from him this year. Um, Kenny Omega, um, maybe not my favorite Omega match of the year, but I had to think about what was, I guess, just what left a better impact for me. Because this was a standout match for John Moxley, and it's what propelled him into the current situation he's in for AEW, which is that he is pretty much the number one contender for Jericho's title. Yeah, I, I think they want to stick away from having the Elite challenge him for a little while. Which I and, think you should. Yeah, absolutely. And Moxley is probably the, the next best opponent for Jericho. Plus, he's also, like, the most popular guy on the show right now, as far as babyface goes. It's Moxley. Oh, yeah. But anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, it's number eight is Kazuchika Okada versus Jay White in the main event of the G1 Supercard in Madison Square Garden. Now, you and I were at this show uh, the night before WrestleMania. It was a great show. It was the first time I think you and I had ever seen uh, New Japan before. We had been to a Ring of Honor show before. We went to one, I think, a year prior in March. It was uh, Manhattan Mayhem that we went. That was in Hammerstein Ballroom. We both met Cody that day. It's still the best day of my life. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he was was super cool. But this match in particular, you you couldn't really go wrong with any of the New Japan stuff that happened at this show. Um, I almost could have put in Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental title, but I feel like this match I had to put in for pure reason of it was like 20 minutes in or so, and everybody was just standing up in Madison Square Garden. There wasn't a single person in that arena sitting down towards the middle and ending sequences of this match. Because of how good it was. Yeah, you didn't have an idea of who was walking away with the championship that night. I mean, I kind of had an idea. I figured it'd be Okada. But I think they really made you suspend your... Well... uh, I forgot the phrase right now, but... They really suspend your disbelief. There you go. I can't think. (laughs) Uh, They made you suspend your disbelief of that Jay White could possibly still walk out as a champion. And that just how good Okada really is. Because I think some people may not really understand how good he is. I mean, I always thought he was a really great wrestler and one of the best wrestlers in the world. But I'm like, but but the best and this and that. Just like, for me, it took this match to realize, oh my god, he really is that good. Because, uh, yeah. Because Okada... He is you. Can, you can compare him to like Ric Flair. I was talking about this with in the last episode I did with Joe. Um, that he's won. He's been a world champion five times already. He's thirty-two years old, and that's the first time Ric Flair won his first world title. Was at thirty-two. Like he's just such a special talent that he's going to be amazing for the rest of his. And I think that you can argue within a few years' time that you can argue him to be one of the best ever. Just, oh, yeah. Just how good he is right now. He is completely and utterly loyal to, to New Japan. 
and he's a guy who I think I've that he's not exactly flashy. He doesn't really go crazy in the ring because a lot of people think a stigma with Japan is that you know it's a lot of high flying action, a lot of moves like that, and and that's not necessarily the case. With Okada, he's just solid in the ring, storytelling, selling. He's just he's he can do it all, and again, when when you've got everybody in Madison Square Garden on their feet, not a per- single person is sitting down watching your match, wanting to know what's going to happen next, just goes to show how good you are. And not to take anything away from Jay White, because Jay White was great in this match, too. I think I remember one specific spot, and I laughed when he did it. <laughs> when Okada was going for the Rainmaker, he just plopped down in the ring, sat down, and just shook his finger, going, uh-uh-uh, not, not now. <laughs> Like, I think Jay White's been a standout uh, this year, too. He's won the, the world title. He beat Tanahashi for it. He beat Jay, uh, Okada clean at Wrestle Kingdom earlier this year. He won the Intercontinental title. He made it to the, the main event of the, the, the end of the G1 tournament. So, and I think he's done a really great job to step up. He's been one of those guys who's really stepped up since guys like Omega and Cody and the Bucks have have uh, left. And I think he has is the was the perfect person to take over Bullet Club and kind of bring it back to the ways that it used to be. Oh yeah, he's definitely somebody that's turned Bullet Club back into just a heel faction mm-hmm. rather than when the elite were part of it, where everybody wanted. To like the, yeah, it was the elite brought it to a more commercial success, and they made it more of a babyface thing. But the thing is, like, it's okay for them to be the cool heels that everybody likes to, everybody likes, or it's just okay for them to be heels in general, because that's what Bullet Club is. Bullet Club is a heel faction, and is the heels who are the foreigners in New Japan who are trying to take over. And with Jay White as running the show in that faction, I think it's perfect. And, uh, yeah, I had to put this match in there just for that reason, just to show how good Okada really is. I get to see up front. front, uh, You and I saw up front and personal and just how great Jay White is. And just to a testament that how strong New Japan has grown over the past, like, three or four years. Yeah, it's definitely now able to compete with Vince. I don't know about compete. I think right now, it, it between New Japan and AEW, it, you can argue that New Japan is the number two wrestling company in the world. You can argue that fact because it's been around for a long time. It is a solid roster. Every single guy is a workhorse. Um, it's between that. So I think that... Um, yeah, again, New Japan has really stepped up their game in the past number of years. Even with them losing guys like Omega and the Elite and everything, even losing them, they're still uh, they still have ama- an amazing roster with so much talent that they are no one to mess with. Yeah, I remember before that match even started, they had a little like uh, video package where they showed every New Japan world champion over the years yeah the heavyweight title and almost yeah and every almost every champion you just look back and this what they were so great for the for the brand except for brock lesnar but that's yeah another thing you know shinsuke nakamura aj styles mm-hmm. kenny uh naito Prin- uh, no not prince david right no, Devitt never won the, the heavyweight title. He was a junior heavyweight champion a couple times. Right, right. But, you know, they, they're they able to hold their heavyweight championship in such reverence that I don't think WWE could ever do something like that because we'll see uh, Jinder Mahal at some point. <laughs> I think that's the great thing about New Japan is that they are very much, yes, it's a work, but they still treat it with a very, like, sport type element, real life element, and they they have a lot of prestige when it comes to their their top title, and that's what I love about New Japan. But um, I think we should get into the next match, which is another New Japan match. It's Will Ospreay versus Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom 13. 
you can't go wrong with an Osprey match. Honestly, you could have just done a whole top ten list of Will Osprey matches for this year alone, and no one would complain. Because that's how good Will Osprey has been. And I could have put just about any Will Osprey match, and there is mild spoiler, there is another one in there somewhere that we'll talk about in a bit. But there <coughs> excuse me. Just how this match started. It was crazy from the beginning. It was Osprey versus Ibushi in the opening match of Wrestle Kingdom for the Never Openweight Championship. I remember doing predictions for this. I'm just like, you honestly can't go wrong with either one because either one of them could have won. And I predicted Ibushi and I lost. Well, I lost that prediction. This is where we saw kind of a different side of Will Ospreay. He was more hard-hitting, more um, uh, gritty, and had a mean streak on him in this match. I mean, how he won the title to begin with, like that running forearm to the back of the head of Ibushi... It was, it was such a shocking match that for the next few matches, I couldn't even focus on them because of how good Ibushi and Will Ospreay was. It's just like, you th- you just think to yourself, like, that match is a match of the year contender, and it was literally the first match of of the wrestling year, which is insane. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it, it it looked way more... Like Osprey wanted to use a strong style. Yes. To yes. The... It wasn't just like when he had a match with Ricochet where it was nothing but flips. He wanted to show some grit to them. Not to say that the match with Ricochet wasn't just flips. Flips were a big part of it, but there was a lot of hard hitting offense in there. I think the flack that that match gets is because it's just they see the one clip of them doing the the whole flippy flippy shit stuff which is just it's fine and everything but that match is really good because again you watch the whole thing and Osprey and Ricochet are beating the shit out of each other and that's what he did here with uh, Ibushi and Ibushi the story was is that Will Osprey idolized Cody Ibushi growing up and now he's getting to face his hero in the ring for a championship and I almost thought for a second after the match maybe Osprey was turning heel maybe but he didn't. And I also thought it was a way for him to kind of move up in the heavyweight division when he won the Never Openweight title. But um, that wasn't the case, as we'll get into more later on. Also, Kota Ibushi, another one of my favorite guys from New Japan, a guy who I'm hoping walks out as the champion after Wrestle Kingdom 14. I called him to win the G1. Um, he's He is just a very innovative, very interesting talent when it comes to wrestling. He there there are a few guys in the world of, in, in wrestling right now who who move very uniquely, very differently, and Kota Ibushi is one of those guys. He's just so much fun to watch. When he was part of the Golden Lovers, when he had his match with Naito, it's he's always so much fun to watch. Yeah, he is. I mean, Again, that match Naito with MSG almost went in there. Uh, it almost went in there, but I think I put this one in here to kind of still get, give love to Kota Ibushi and just to show how good Will Ospreay is. Like I said, it's, go ahead, go ahead. It's definitely a match that <laughs> propels Osprey into, you know, talks of being one of the top guys there. And I think he is. I think he is one of the top guys there because when when uh, when Kenny left, he was kind of the guy who stepped up and took that position of, okay, I need to kind of put that style of match. It's kind of on me now. Whereas Will Ospreay was always doing really well, but now that, that he, that the ball is kind of in his court and he's just, but he's just been taking it and hit and knocking it out of the park ever since, since Omega left. And he's just been on a whole other level. Like, like to me, there's no wrestler who has been better this year, like in ring, as far as matches, uh, just all overall match. Like to me, Will Ospreay is the best wrestler 
of 2019, and for me, he was the best wrestler uh, in the world right now. Uh, yeah, I think that is definitely an argument anybody could have. It, he's just been great. Every time I think of Will Ospreay, unfortunately, I've always had the thought of uh, amazing mid-card talent, but now after all these matches, he's just he's going to be a top guy anywhere he goes, or if he stays in New Japan, he's going to be a top guy. I think he's going to stay in New Japan for a long, long time. I don't think he'll... I think, don't think he'll ever go to WWE. Um, I don't know if he'll go to AEW, but right now he is on another level. I think he's only like he's only 24, 25, and he's just been doing an amazing job. Just keep staying in Japan, stay in Japan for a long time, and then eventually, when you've when you've done your hard work, go to like AEW or WWE and do your money work at that point. But right now, he's very much wants to stay in Japan. But anyway. Moving on, and this is the one main roster WWE match that I have on this list, and it's one of the few matches that actually stayed from the previous one, and that's Kofi Kingston versus Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 35 this year. It it was a great story. Uh, the only unfortunate part was, you know, we saw this story already with Daniel Bryan when he was the baby. Yeah, but 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 with Brian with his story as the babyface, if that was that had been building up since SummerSlam, yes, that was not necessarily going to be the plan because they were going to do Brian. I'm sorry, Batista versus Orton, but the story was there since the summer of 2013, and it went for almost a year later into WrestleMania of 2014, WrestleMania 30. This time around, Brian is the heel. Kofi just lights up out of nowhere. I mean, not, not out of nowhere. Kofi's been great for a long time, but everyone's just like, oh, yeah, Kofi's really, really great. Like, we want him to be the champion. And I'm glad that they did this because it was backstage. It was actually Brian who was really lobbying for the, ma- the story between him and Kofi to go all the way to WrestleMania because originally they weren't too sure about it. But Brian fought for Kofi, and he stuck his neck out for Kofi. He's just saying that, he, this needs to go to Mania. This needs to happen at Mania. He needs to win the title at Mania. Because you can't deny how over he is. Just how hot this story is. And for me, it was the story of it was the story in WrestleMania that I was most looking forward to. Yeah, it, I was looking forward to the women's match. And it was history and everything. But for weeks in that build, they were you know overdoing it. The brawl, the, the, the go-home segment on Raw. That really um, got me interested in the women's match again, but this was the one match that I was looking forward to the most, and I'm like, this is going to be the best match of the night, and Kofi, Kofi wins. If he wins, like, it would be one of the loudest reactions I will ever hear, and it was. I... Uh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I had a bit of a doubt after the Rollins vs. Lesnar match, because I, I didn't think they would have the Baby Fist win each championship, Rollins, yeah. Kofi, and that. But, you know, just watching the match, you, you're like, there's no way Brian retains. Especially when they did the, uh, they showed the pedestal with the championship under the cloth. You, you know what's under there. Yeah. Well, the thing was, apparently... I was watching Cultaholic Reactions, and apparently they had messed up <laughs> that Kofi was going to win the title because on Shop.com they released the shirt that they had that they were wearing, like his kids were wearing and all of them. They messed up, and they released that shirt too soon. Yeah, I remember that. I'm like, what? No. I mean, I was at Mania, so I didn't know. But when I heard that, I'm like, oh, you guys messed it up again. That's that's just so that's such a WWE I don't thing know. to do. I'm sorry, you, you lagged out for me. I was just saying that's such a WWE thing to do. Like, the match isn't even over yet, and you're already, like, putting the shirt out there. Ah, oh, Jesus. Um, but anyway, for, for me, it was the best match of Mania, and it was one of the just just best moments I've ever got to witness live at a show, and it's just one of, just one of the best just feel-good moments in wrestling. A guy who who we probably never thought would be anything more than just an upper mid-card guy 
who's who's now relegated to a tag team, which is nothing wrong being a tag team in a faction because New Day is great. Um, but a guy who really deserved to be champion finally became champion. And that's something that no one can ever take away from him. You can say that maybe his title reign wasn't the strongest as far as opponents go and story and build, but to his credit, Kofi held the championship for like six months, and they booked him really strong. So that's something you can't ever take away from him, regardless how you feel after the fact. When he won the title and the moment building up to the title of him winning it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, I forget what was the match that really set things in motion. But it was like a gauntlet match or something like that where it Kofi was, just kept beating guy after guy. Yeah. The, and the, everybody was super excited. The thing was is that it was supposed to be Mustafa Ali in that match. And uh, it was supposed to be like who was going to get the advantage in the Elimination Chamber match. And when Mustafa Ali wasn't cleared to wrestle, they said that one of the members of the New Day was going to be entering that match. And it, when they picked Kofi, and Kofi was doing such an amazing job that they figured, oh, man. And I don't exactly know when exactly Brian was lobbying for Kofi to be the one to face him at Mania, but eventually it, it all worked out. That's when things kind of started happening. And then they had, and then Kofi had another gauntlet match, which he ended up losing. Uh, like, he won the match, and then Brian, and Mick, Vince came out and said that he had to beat Brian to, to face him, and then Brian beat him. And then it was Woods and Xavier, I mean Woods and Big E, who ended up winning a tag team gauntlet match so Kofi could go to Mania. Um, and I love the inclusion of Big E and Xavier Woods in this story, too, that they were fighting for their friend who's been working so hard to even get an opportunity for a chance like this. Like Because he is never, Kofi never got a world title match for this. He never got a world title match, and he his first opportunity was at WrestleMania. You can't beat that. No. And I honestly think that if he didn't win the title at Mania, he was never going to be champion ever. So does I'm, that make, Go ahead. I was just going to ask, is, does that make him a Grand Slam champion? I can't remember. A Grand Slam champion. Um, What does it have to be? You have to win the two mid-cards, a world title... A tag title, right? Yeah, so I know two, at least two for sure. I think he's yeah. I think been he's. I think he's United great, States. He's held the U.S. title, an IC title. He's been tag team champion multiple times. Yeah, he's a Grand Slam champion. That that well, just makes it so much better, yeah. even though they don't talk about it. No, I mean they don't even talk about that he was champion. They 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 just forget that he was WWE champion this year. Like. I, w- I would like for them and Kofi, kayfabe, to remember that you were champion, man. Like, you were the WWE champion, at, and you won it at WrestleMania. Anyway, but I think uh, I've just talked about much we could with, with Kofi and Brian, just how great that match was. Next up, we're getting to the top five of this list. It is the Women's War Games match. Team Ripley versus Team Baszler. Always love a good War Games. Uh, it... I've been so happy since they brought it back from WCW. I loved this match so much. Kevin Owens may have gotten the pop of the night at that pay-per-view. But this match, I just think, was so much better by a hair. Because you had the... What was so amazing about this is... Rip, uh, Team Baszler consisted of Shayna Baszler, Kaylee Ray... Uh, Bianca Belair and Io Shirai. Uh, Team Ripley consisted of Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, Tegan Knox, and originally Mia Yim. Before the show happens, Mia Yim gets gets hurt and she can't compete and she's going to the hospital. And Dakota Kai is there, Rhea Ripley and Candice LeRae, and Rhea Ripley goes, Alright, you're in. And Dakota Kai's like, No, no, I can't. It's just like, You wanted this. Now you're getting it. Prove to me that you have that fire. You're in. You're stepping in for Mia Yim. So it's now Dakota Kai. The match goes... Uh, it starts off, I believe, with uh, Candice... I think Rhea Ripley, actually. I think it's Ripley and Io Shirai, maybe? I don't know. I can't really remember. But the things that really heated up for this match was when 
it was Dakota Kai's turn to come to the match. She's fired up. She's ready to go. You see Tegan Knox in the back talking trash to uh, Baszler and their other opponents. And then you just see Dakota Kai just kick Tegan Knox right in the face. I was yeah. Like, oh. I'm like, oh! Like, I was hoping for a, a Dakota Kai heel turn. I was hoping for it at some point, like, down the line, but that they pulled the trigger so soon, I'm like, yes! They, and then she just starts battering Tegan Knox. She's beating the crap out of her. She's hit, hurting her in the, in the cage, attacking her surgically repaired knee that she hurt in the Mayo Classic. And then Baszler's laughing in the cage. You see Ripley and Candice LeRae just like, what do we do now? And I honestly thought Baszler's team was going to win. I honestly thought they were going to win. And then what they did, and, and the action inside, that's just the storytelling part of it, but the action inside the ring where you see Io Shirai did a moonsault from the top of the cage. You see Rhea Ripley hitting a riptide after Shayna Baszler tried handcuffing her on two steel chairs and they have winning the match. Just the amazing thing that led all to this is that NXT have done such an amazing job of building up their women's division. Because you can believe any woman could be NXT champion, NXT women's champion. Now that Baszler's gone, yeah, they, they they're all amazing to watch. They're all very talented. Anybody could just hold the championship, and you'd believe they. Did. I mean, Ripley, I think, is going to be holding the championship for a long time, and she's blown up this year. She has it all, and she's only like twenty three years old, but I think. I saw something, I said it on this podcast, I saw on Twitter that she's she's 23. If she stays in the company to like WrestleMania 50, she'll be how old Shayna Baszler is now. And Shayna Baszler is 39. You forget that Shayna Baszler is that old. Yeah, it doesn't really matter because she steals the show whenever she's on. I think she did everything she could with the title. Now it's time that the women's division has a stacked roster and they can go to anybody for that position and Ripley's in that position right now. Um, I think this match made everybody in, in this. It had so many so many things to do after, you know, Ripley versus Sh- uh, Baszler. Uh, you could Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai eventually. T- uh, Dakota Kai versus Mia Yim. Uh, Io Shirai and, uh, you know, potentially Rhea Ripley, uh, Candice LeRae again, and Candice LeRae, like, I've been a huge fan of hers forever, and the fact that she was getting such a huge spotlight in this match, that I was just over the moon for Candice LeRae. I thought she did an amazing job in this match, too. Yeah, for sure, she was very good, uh, the entire time. Um, but again, I think the whole point of this was to just make every single woman look better than they did before. And everybody has something moving forward. Everybody has something to do moving forward. Kaylee Ray kind of went back to NXT UK and she was doing and does her own thing. But every woman who's on the NXT roster, women's roster, regular, um, they all have something going on and going forward. There's something because there is a story for every single one. Because you can believe uh, a few between Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, Rhea Ripley, Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley. Because I'm just excited to see like what she's going to do next to the title. Yeah, you know, I think I've said to you before, it feels like WWE and NXT have like a monopoly on the women's divisions. And... I would, I would say so. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when you do, you have to give these women something to do because they're too good to leave on a shelf. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think the women's division is in wrestling is the strongest when it comes to the WWE portion of it. Uh, AEW, I think their women's division is getting a little better. I know that stardom is great out there in Japan. Uh, 
Impact has a very good women's division as well. But for my, but if you want to be, you know, make a big name for yourself, and I think where the best talent is, you go to, uh, you go to WWE in some form, some form, some capacity. Yeah, you know, Stephanie wanted to bring the women's division up, and she's done it. No okay. matter what you think of Stephanie, you know, she she did this. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's all Stephanie. Yeah, but she, you're right. But it was just something she really fought for. Yeah, but at the same time, it was also the women themselves when they were given the opportunity, they knocked it out of the park. Definitely. Uh, yeah, that's all. Like... All right, then. I guess moving on to number four. It is the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros at All Out. Oh, and yeah. In the ladder match, to end all ladder matches, the ladder match that is absolutely effing crazy. These guys are crazy. The um, the, the things they did in this match, holy crap. I mean... In- <laughs> this The spot... Where Pentagon hits a Canadian destroyer over the ladder through a table onto Matt, where they hit their finisher, like where 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 they uh, Pentagon does a package pile driver and then Phoenix kind of like kicks their back or something onto a ladder on Matt again. <sighs> Go ahead, Ray. Give give your thoughts on the match. Yeah, so, you know, the Lucha Brothers' big catchphrase is Cerro Miedo, no fear. And every time they get and have a match like that, it's like they, they're they not scared of anything. They really aren't scared of anything. And neither are the Young Bucks. Like, each, uh, each team tried to outdo the other. Like, I'm not scared of you. I'm not scared of you. Oh, you're, Like, Phoenix and, and Nick were jumping off the ladders and hitting each other, going to hit the opposite team member onto the ladder. Like... You hit my guy, I'm going to hit your guy. You hit my, Go ahead, you hit my guy, I'm going to hit your guy. Okay, let's go. And then they jump off the ladder, and <laughs> they they hit their uh, Pentagon and uh, Matt through the tables. They're definitely this generation's version of Edging Christian or the Hardys or the Dudleys. They've just, you I, said that uh, before we even did the recording. They uh, are this version of I wouldn't say they're this version of Edge and Christian or the Hardys, the Dudleys, these teams, um, but they surely. But you can't help but think about these guys, those guys, when you see this match, especially with the Young Bucks, because they they take a lot of inf- uh, inspiration from the Hardys. But um, the Pentagon and Phoenix are just. You can argue they are the best tag team in the world right now, just of how good that they've been, and they haven't been tagging that long. They're mainly singles guys. Yeah, I remember watching Penta vs. Jer- not Jericho, um, Omega. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he's always, he's always put on a great show, no matter what. I'm not exactly sure what got them into tagging. I think it, it might have been when they were in Impact and they started tagging together. But whatever the case may be, it's helped stack the AEW tag team division and the. I think the Young Bucks may have found a team that's just as crazy as they are in the Lucha Brothers. Yeah, you know, all the all the spots they pulled that match, I can't see any other tag team trying to keep up with what they... I mean, again, we, we, we grew, you and I grew up on matches like the crazy TLC matches that we saw as kids with Edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys, just thinking those matches were insane that th- this one is right up there and may be the craziest ladder match that again that I've ever seen in my entire life being a wrestling fan yeah bringing in you know the indie style that everybody loves to watch Lucha with Li- Lucha this Libre style yeah the Lucha Libre style and what the Bucks always bring to the table literally with tables, ladders, chairs, it, 
it's one of the best combinations I've seen. For sure. I mean, I hope in the future we'll see these guys go at it again for the AEW tag titles. But uh, but for now, it's they gave us two of the best uh, wrestling matches from AEW and tag matches from this year. Uh, so even when I watch back that match, I'm just like, oh, I, I still get like, oh my god, oh my god, get like worked up watching it, seeing those crazy spots again, just of how brutal they can be. Yeah. And I don't think any tag team in AEW right now is able to do what they do. I don't see best friends do it. No, best friends are not gonna, not going to do stuff like that. They will... If, they, if it was announced that they had a match, they would... Like, if they were facing the Lucha Brothers in a, in a ladder match like that, they would straight up just say, nah, we, we, we're we out. <laughs> we quit. Because <laughs> that's just the M.O. of the best friends. Yeah. <laughs> and Orange Cassidy, too. I love Orange Cassidy. <laughs> He's my favorite right now. You're, you're not alone. You're not alone. I love Orange Cassidy, too. And so does Joe. But anyway, um, we're going on to the top three now. And the next, the number three is Johnny Gargano, Gargano versus Adam Cole at NXT TakeOver New York. This match, now you could easily could pick Gargano 2 or Gargano 3. Gargano 3 was was crazy and kind of out there. Gargano 2, Gargano and Adam Cole 2 was... Um, Kind of more of like there was no bells and whistles, nobody got involved, no weapons or anything, and it was just like a pure wrestling match. But for me, with the journey that Johnny Gargano was on to win the NXT Championship, and granted, it was it sucked that it couldn't have been Champa, and we all wanted to be Champa, but he was hurt. But in the end, it was the it was the story of Gargano finally climbing the mountaintop, finally winning the champion. Uh, championship and being the top guy and it was something that maybe we didn't think was going to happen because I thought Adam Cole would have won that match yeah going into it I think one of the things that really brought out this match was the crowd the yeah, crowd, the crowd was, was super, hot they were super hot for Cole who was basically a hometown hero at that point and you know, Gargano just fought his way to get the crowd on his side. Yeah, because Gargano was getting a bit of a mixed reaction, but towards the end, like, there wasn't a single person who was not cheering for Johnny Gargano. Yeah, when he won, everybody popped. Yeah. I mean, sure, you could kind of criticize the whole, you know, crazy kicking out, kicking out at two and all that, but it really suspended my disbelief in this match of how amazing these two were it was the star it was the it was the WWE match that broke Meltzer's star rating he gave them five and a half stars in this match that's how much that's how much he loved it it's very rare to watch or hear Meltzer doing something like that I think Okada Omega's the last time I heard him with Okada with Okada and Omega he he they're the ones who broke the star rating and gave and he gave them six stars yeah, um, but these two, you know, they they were able to just put on one hell of a show, and I think this was right before Mania, right? This was the Friday before. This was the Friday of the weekend of Mania, yes. I I think it's still the best match of that whole weekend. I'm not gonna argue against you. It probably was the best match of the weekend. I mean, earlier in the year we had uh, Pete Dunne and Walter in this match too, but I uh, kind of had to scoot that one out. This one, though, I had to keep in there. For me, that was the best match in the card. I might have to agree with you. Probably was best match of the weekend, and it was just the journey of Gargano finally winning the title. Um, and how well they these guys did together and how well the video package was made that you almost forgot it was supposed to be Champa. Yeah. That's how good uh- these guys were together. Yeah, the, there are two people I think will stay in NXT for a long time. Mm-hmm. They just they just bring out the best in the. I think so, and they bring out the best of each other, really. 
uh, it did take a little bit away when Champa came out in his neck break. I, I was hoping they would still be rivals until he returned. Yeah, but the thing is, you can still kind of do Gorgano and, and Champa. Like, like you could do Gorgano and Champa Mania weekend next year, or you could do Champa and Cole next year, uh, leading up to the fact that you know Champa never lost the title, and he, it's a babyface moment for him, where he wins back the title. Or the next takeover, you have him win the title from Cole, and then you build it to Gargano and Champa, and they don't. Neither one of them has to be a heel, but you can build up to that moment again of them, you know, having that one last match between the two of them, you know. Um, that so it's almost a good thing that Champa got hurt, almost, because you do have these two new avenues you could go with storyline wise. But uh, but overall, the the match was amazing. The takeover was amazing, and. And I am so bummed out. I still think back. I'm just like, that was probably the greatest NXT takeover to date. And I wasn't there to see it. Uh, you, you had uh, you had the G1. Not the G1. The uh, No, G1 Supercard. Could... I know, I know, I know. And it was fun. But that was the show of the weekend for me. It was it was the take. It was NXT TakeOver New York. Yeah. Out of all three shows, I think NXT definitely st- yeah, they stole the weekend, like they always do. But anyway, moving on to our number two. It's the same number two from the previous list. It's Cody versus Dustin at double or nothing. This is my favorite match of the year. Hands down, just the two brothers who are amazing at storytelling. The son of one of the greatest wrestlers ever. Two sons. Yeah. Both of them the sons of, you know, Dusty Rhodes. For me, there obviously there is one more list. There's one more match that I think was just a hair better than this. But this was a match where I remember when they were building up as to who Cody could possibly be facing at Double or Nothing because we did not know yet. And I randomly said to Sean, could you imagine if it's Gold Dust? And he kind of laughed. I'm like, no, seriously, could you imagine if it's Goldust? What if it was him? What if they got him for Double or Nothing and, and AEW? And sure enough, he texts me the video and everything of Dustin versus Cody, Nightmare versus Natural. I'm like, oh, my God, I called it. So I remember Sean put up a poll on our Twitter saying uh, Cody's opponent for Double or Nothing has been announced as Dustin Rhodes. Is this a good idea, yes or no? And... I think he hashtagged Dustin's name or whatever he did, and then Dustin Rhodes liked the tweet of the poll. And that got, like, over, like, 200-something, uh, 200 to 300 votes or something like that. And we went nuts. So it was the match that a lot of people were looking forward to. And a lot of people were figuring that it was going to be a great match, but I don't think anybody expected how good this turned out to be. Just two masters of storytelling going at it. I think that building up to it, Dustin bleeding everywhere, the moments that they had in this match, you know, because at one point, like, Dustin's face was all red, so you, did, so you couldn't tell if it was just, if it was his part of it was blood, or his, or he, it was still some of his face paint. Cody had blood, Dustin's blood all over him. He, I mean, it was a very, it was an emotional match, and and a lot of people think that some may not but to me it I think it's Cody's best match of his career I think Dustin's best match of his career and again so much to the point that Meltzer gave it five stars just one man's opinion but again I truly believe it was one of the best matches of the year and I think it was the match that really showed just how good Cody Rhodes and Dustin are because some people may not be really too crazy with Cody Rhodes and say like his always oh, in ring work is, is, is good. It's not great. His character work stuff is really good, but this proved to me proved just how damn good Cody Rhodes is in the ring. Yeah. They were, they put it all out there and you know, when, Dustin started bleeding. 
and it just never stopped and it was all over the place it was all over Cody it, it, it did look like Dusty versus Flair mm-hmm. two big bleeders who just put it all out there on the ring And these two, you know, they put on an amazing show. They put on amazing storytelling. Cody did the uh, cartwheel, and he did the stardust kind of hand gesture. <laughs> it's it's great that this was the rematch we finally got, not stardust. Yeah, it's or... it's great that we got this match in AEW rather than we getting Cody versus. Goldust or Stardust versus Goldust in WWE because clearly they saw nothing in that match and no value in that match and then it ends up being one of the best matches of the entire year and the best match of both these guys' careers to put uh, together. And especially Cody's promo at the end where he wanted Dustin to be his tag partner. Yeah. He got choked up, the emotion in his voice. Dustin didn't know what was going to happen. He wanted to retire right then and there but when he said that he's just like god and the hug after it was it was the best moment of the entire show and it was such a great match that really so far in AEW short history the best match of its of its career uh, of its um, in the company yeah um i think it'll always go down in history as one of the best matches no long, no matter how big the company just you know one of the founders of the company against his older brother and they just put it all out there i think everybody thought this would be dustin's go home everyone kind of thought this would be this would be his but dustin like he'd retire and then that's it yeah and then you know his hall of fame uh, yeah because he's he's done a lot he's done just about everything except win the world title. Maybe one day he'll win the world title. Yeah. But anyway, number one, it's still number one to me, and that is Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi at the best of the Super Juniors finals. Yeah. Will Ospreay has been the man of the year. He's the best wrestler in the world. To me, he is the best wrestler in the world. There is nobody who has had a year like Will Ospreay. I was rewatching this match earlier today and I'm still captivated by it and still popping for every big move and I'm still getting excited. Like It's just that damn good of a match. It's Will Ospreay's best match of the year. Like You could, you could say any match that Will Ospreay's had this year is his best match of the year and you can argue that. He's had great matches with Dragon Lee at Dominion, this match with Shingo. He had a great match with Pac, uh, Kota Ibushi, as we talked about earlier in, earlier on this episode, um, he had a great match with Okada in the G1. Uh, he had a great match with Hiroshi Tanahashi in the G1. He has been on a whole different level this year, and I cannot wait for Wrestle Kingdom when he's finally going to face Hiromu Takahashi. Like, a rematch that's been building for a long, long time. Because it was Hiromu last year who won the best of the Super Juniors tournament, who beat Will Ospreay for the junior heavyweight title, and now Hiromu is back, and he's going to be facing Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom for the championship. For the, that, to me, is probably going to be match of the night. Without a doubt, anything Ospreay can do is gold. I remember watching a... Uh... I guess you would call it like a seminar or something where uh, Heyman was talking mm-hmm. and he picked Osprey out of the crowd and he just couldn't stop praising him. This was a few years ago. And now look, he's one of the best in the world. My opinion, he is the best in the world. If you, there are plenty of guys out there, but you, he is for sure in the argument of the best in the world. And, I think 2019 has been his year. It has been yeah. his year because there's, again, just there's just nobody on his level right now. He's nope. just he's just that damn good, 
and I think 2020 will even be an even better year for him, and hopefully it will be a year where he can kind of move up and head towards the heavyweight title division uh, and just do that because I would love to see Will Ospreay as heavyweight champion. I don't know how long he'd actually hold the title for. I don't know if he would be facing Okada for the title. I mean, Okada's currently the champion. They're both members of Chaos. But I remember him he- hearing him on Edge and Christian's podcast where he was just like, you know, they kind of asked, he said like him potentially moving into the heavyweight division. He's just like, he just wasn't sure about it. He's just like, he's as much as it, he, he, that's a goal of his. He wants to win the world title, the heavyweight title. But he says right now he's really into the fact that he's the junior heavyweight that they can put against him, put the heavyweights against. And he gets a great match out of all of them. And and uh, Balor, Prince Devitt, had a very similar situation when he was the junior heavyweight champion. Like he was challenging Okada for the world title. He was a junior heavyweight being pushed to a heavyweight position. And Osprey's kind of in the same position as, as Devitt. It's always good to have somebody like that who you could fight the super juniors and the uh, and the heavyweights and just bring out the best. And Os- Osprey, Prince David, you know, very few people will be able to. Not everybody is able to do that, but just again, I could have just made this list. Just Will Osprey matches alone. <laughs> just, just that. Just Will Osprey la- matches alone. But I had to be, f- I had to be fair and pick other matches because I couldn't just do that. But, but again, for me, th- this this match was great. And going in, he Shingo Takagi had never been pinned nor submitted in New Japan, and Osprey was the first guy to do it. And he's now uh, one of the best of Super Juniors twice. I believe he's a three-time, now a three-time uh, IWGP junior heavyweight champion. And, again, I am just so excited to see what's going to happen next for him and what's going to happen in 2020. And pretty much everybody we've talked about in this list. Um, but, anyway, I guess that will do it for this episode of the Nine of the Wrestling Podcast. Reyes, thank you so much, man, for coming on. I really appreciate you uh, coming on here and talking with me for like the past hour or so we've been doing this. It's uh, it's been an honor. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Yeah, man, I've want, uh, I've wanted to get you on here for a while, so I'm glad I finally could. Yeah, it it's a lot of fun. I I look forward to uh, listening to the future podcasts and whatever else happens. Yeah, dude, for sure. Anyway, so you can listen to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor.fm. Um, wherever, pretty much wherever you can find our uh, podcasts are on. Uh, you know, like I said, Facebook at the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and follow us at the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. And uh, thank you so much for listening. For CJ Palmasano, my good buddy Chris Reyes, we'll see you next time. <laughs>